Good morning, everybody. My name is Clint Nato, and I am a covenant member here at City, and I'm also uh, the Saturday night community group leader. Yeah, there we go. Boom. Yeah, I see some of my, my people's dispersed amongst you here this morning. So um, that's what I do on Saturday nights. I'm also part of the, the First Impressions team uh, out front. So uh, if, if, you, if I look familiar, you probably see me out, out front greeting, greeting people as they come in. I greet. I welcome. So that's what I do on the First Impressions team. So anyways, um, all that being said, good to see you guys this morning. I know it's uh, Thanksgiving holiday weekend, so uh, you could have slept in this morning and been doing a lot of things, but you're here, and it's really good to see you guys. I'm excited to see what God's doing here at City, and uh, it's new faces every Sunday, so it's good to see a lot of people that uh, I haven't seen or gotten a chance to welcome as a first-time guest. So good to see you guys this morning. So, well... Uh, one holiday down amongst the big three. We started back in October with, uh, was it Reformation Day? Um, whatever you want to call it for you non-Halloween folk. Um, Harvest Day. Um, so that was down back in October. And then uh, we just uh, went dunzo with Thanksgiving here a couple days ago. And now, yes, Christmas. Christmas is upon us. So today is December 1st, by the way. So we've got about 24 days until that big day coming up. So uh, for some of you, um, you finally get to celebrate why you put up your Christmas lights in September and posted on Facebook that you were listening to Christmas music in September. So um, we're here. The holiday's upon us. You finally get to celebrate uh, what was going on back in September. So uh, the Murfreesboro Electric Department champions your spirit and enthusiasm. So uh, they ask you to keep doing that earlier and earlier. They benefit from it. So, um, last week, um, familiar, familiar with the Tennessean, um, if you're not familiar with the Tennesseans, uh, the state-ran paper here. Uh, last week, senior music writer for the Tennessean, Peter Cooper. I'm sure all you are familiar with his, with his articles, but uh, he, wrote, um, he wrote a uh, column entitled, Country Music's New Rules. Humor. There we go. Uh, so, Cooper, in this article, laments his angst against how the country genre has undergone something of an identity crisis, okay? So uh, he writes, it's going to be on the screen, he writes this, there should be a three-year ban on writing or recording songs about partying in fields and or congregating in, on, or around pickup trucks. Okay, thank you, Jeremy Glass, amen, there we go. Anyone who enjoys these songs has plenty of them for the next 36 months. Performers who break this rule will be excommunicated from country music and made to work in a newly created genre known as what? Goober rock. Okay? So, I'm, I'm with you guys. I thought all of country music was goober rock. Okay? Truth be told, um, I'm in no way, shape, or form a fan of country music. However, I have lived in the Middle Tennessee area all of my life. And I have, in, in all honesty here, I'm getting a serious moment. Um, I have come to respect country music, okay? So I do, I do respect it, okay? So Cooper, I would say, is uh, a country music purist. Uh, wrote the article out of his disdain for watching a genre of music he loves become something that isn't recognizable as country music anymore. The same can be said for uh, the time of season that we're in, right? What's happened to Christmas? Doesn't Christmas seem almost more and more unrecognizable with each year that passes? Christmas has undergone the same identity crisis just like country music has. I would say that Christmas, the Christmas season went goober rock way before country did, okay? Look at the state of our culture. When department stores are opening on holidays, something is wrong. Yes, 
We admit, we've got a shopping problem. It's about as close as I get to singing a country music song. So, shopping is always on our minds, isn't it? That's David Ball there, late 90s. Um, country music people, there we go. One for other records. So, one of the true miracles of Christmas is that I'm using country music illustrations in this sermon. So, that is to be um, uh, thankful right there. I'm thankful for that. But, uh, so, admits to find the perfect gift. Mall traffic, online shopping, trying to close that deal to get your numbers in before Christmas. Cleaning house to have people over. Not cleaning house to have people over. Uh, for all those people that are having a hard time, finding, a di- finding it difficult to, um, to find any Mary in Christmas at all, let's talk about the coming. What am I talking about? Let me get to that. Today marks a four-week-long series in which we celebrate the Advent season. Advent means coming, the coming of God's Son, Jesus Christ. See, for centuries, God prepared people for the coming of His Son, Jesus. 2,000 years ago, His Son did come. When Jesus was born, the ancient waiting ended. It's Jesus' coming into our world that we celebrate at Christmas. Matthew gives us an account of Jesus' birth in the four four Gospels in the Bible through a very unique perspective. We're going to see the coming of Jesus' birth through the eyes of Joseph, Jesus' adoptive father. Read with me here. Matthew 1, 18-25. If you don't got a Bible, we've got some in the back there at our community groups table. So if you want to awkwardly get one right now, I'll pretend like I won't see you. But if not, if you want to bear through it, we can uh, read it on the screen together. Let me read this. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, The virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Jesus woke up from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. This account of Jesus' birth is much different than what we read in Luke. What we read, what we've just read is taken from Joseph's point of view. In Luke's narrative, Joseph's name isn't even mentioned. We don't know a lot about Joseph. Outside of Matthew, he's pretty much non-existent. Here's what we know. Scholars agree that he was a few years older than Mary. In our Matthew text today, he was probably, I don't know, 20 years old, with Mary being in her mid-teens. See, at the very first Christmas, Joseph was undergoing the greatest crisis he had ever faced in his very young life. Let me show you. Verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Matthew prepares us right away for what we're about to take in. He says it 
took place in this way. It's like he's saying, listen, I know this is going to sound completely ridiculous, but it's the truth. So pay attention. Uh, it's also, you know, in these verses, it sounds a lot like a country music song, huh? You've got uh, this fiance, you're, they're, they're engaged, and they're looking forward to getting married. She pops up pregnant, and then, oh, it's just this devastation, heartbreak. I mean, I, you, I, there's country written all over that, isn't there? So Mary was betrothed to Joseph, but before they could come together and consummate their marriage, she gets pregnant by the Holy Spirit. So cue the thunder rolls, Garth Brooks. So I'm just doing all kinds of country music, so this is unprecedented right here crazy for my hipster self. So let's talk about what betrothed means, all right? Betrothal is like the engagement season in our culture. However, when you're betrothed in the Jewish culture, it was much more serious than what we know engagement to be. Here we can just pass rings back if we, you know, don't like anybody. But here in in the Jewish culture, it was much more serious. Marriages were arranged by families. In a betrothal, feelings follow marriage rather than precede it. Isn't that crazy? So you don't fall in love and then get married. You get married and then love comes after that. Much different from our culture. You were considered married when you were betrothed in this Jewish culture. Yet you didn't spend any one-on-one time together as people in our culture do when they're engaged. So for a year, your life is dedicated to a person that you really couldn't get extremely close with. Okay? It was a huge investment that didn't pay off until after the marriage. So you can understand how devastating heartbreaking it was for Joseph to find out that Mary was pregnant. And Joseph knew he wasn't responsible for that child. For Joseph, this seemed like a year of his life was wasted. It was truly a crisis for him. So at this point, Joseph doesn't know what we do, that the child is from the Holy Spirit. Look, verse 19, Joseph was a just man, a righteous man. That means that he was expected to and wanted to obey the law of God. Joseph was a man of character and conviction, but he now found himself in one of the most painful situations he had ever been in. His personal dignity and character were on the line. Joseph thought he only had two options available to him to remedy his present crisis situation. Here's what the culture told him he could do and still keep his honor on the screen. These are Joseph's options. He could have Mary brought to trial and then stoned, or he could divorce her. Either one would vindicate his character and good name. And, you know, after the dust settles, all would go back to normal for Joseph, not so much for Mary. Be very selfish, wouldn't it? So here's a heartbroken and hurt Joseph. He doesn't want either option for a situation. He loves Mary. He doesn't want to disgrace her. We can see evidence of that in how he's agonizing over what he's um, supposed to do here. He doesn't want to bring shame on her or kill her. As Joseph is brainstorming, he decides to go on with the divorce because he thinks he is out of options. But then God shows up with a message, with another way to handle this. Would it be disruptive? Yes, absolutely. But ultimately, it would bring joy to the world. See, the coming of Jesus was personally disruptive before it was joyfully welcomed. It always is, isn't it? But Jesus always gives you a better way to handle the pain and confusion of your life. So, what about you? Have you ever had an unexpected crisis totally blow up all that's comfortable and safe in your world? You don't have to answer out loud, but think through the question for a couple seconds. Does the Christmas season leave you thinking about the worst parts of your life? 
Does it have you thinking your only options are hopelessness? Not really solutions at all? Or have you seen the third way that God has offered you in his son, Emmanuel, and how that changes everything about your response to pain? See, before you're able to see what Christ can do with your crisis, you have to see that. The purpose of your crisis is to help you know and love God personally. Let me give you a personal illustration. I can remember a time in my life not too long ago where it seemed like life was on cruise control for me. I was married, two kids. I was in seminary. I got called back to Murfreesboro to become a singles pastor at my home church here. I would do that for a while, I thought, finish seminary, maybe have another kid. Then after seminary, I would paid my dues as a singles minister and, you know, moved up to bigger and better things. Little did I know that when I moved back to the borough in January 2009 to become a singles pastor, that soon I would be in the middle of a divorce that would leave me single again. An addiction to pornography had caught up with me. My secret pleasure for self-destruction destroyed my six-year and four-week marriage. It was these crises, having my addiction exposed and then being divorced, that God used to expose my sin, my self-righteousness, that had become patterns of behavior that were stealing life away from me. For some of you, you can relate to my story a bit. For others, it's dealing with the sting and loss of a parent abandoning you. Many of you know our very own Jonathan Edwards, our uh, worship leader here at City Church. Not only is Jonathan gifted musically, he's also in the middle of writing a book about his personal crisis when his father left his family when he was a kid. In his book, Jonathan talks about a five-by-seven picture of him and his wife on their wedding day. This picture is framed and in the middle of that white mat that surrounds the picture, um, there are hundreds of signatures and well wishes of friends and family that attended the wedding. If, if you're married, you probably have the same picture hanging up in maybe your living room. But his dad didn't show up to his wedding. And so there's no signature, no loving message, only the pain of absence. That's a hard echo of a crisis during a very important time in a person's life, isn't it? So this is what he writes about the absence of his dad's signature around that picture. It's on the screen. And even though I know it's not there, I always stop and look for my dad's name. I don't find it. No matter how long I look, no matter how many times I look, no matter how much I want it to be there, it doesn't show up. I can't find his name. And no matter how many signatures crowd together, it will always be missing one. It will always have a hole. It will always have room for one more. It will always have an empty space that wasn't filled with a name. The holiday season can be a time of crisis in and of itself, can't it? An important annual event that can produce its own echoes of loss and pain, especially when you're dealing with the loss of a family member who has passed away or abandoned you. Though we would never uh, purposefully ask to lose loved ones, go through a divorce, feel the sting of abandonment from a parent, and go through addiction, there's something unique, truly unique, that happens when we go through a disruption the disruption, when we go through a disruption of crisis. 
these crises, crises that we go through, it gets us out of the monotony of our daily routine and forces us, listen, it forces us to examine who we are and what we're doing with our lives, doesn't it? Doesn't it? And listen, okay, I know there are those of you out there here today that have been through your own crisis and instead of that crisis leading you to God, it's pushed you away further from God. If this is you, keep listening. I'm gonna come back to you, okay? So don't tune me out. Look in verse 2021. Joseph's dignity and reputation is on the line here, isn't it? People are talking about Mary's pregnancy. And while Joseph is in the middle of his divorce, brainstorming ways to make it easy as possible to get out of his um, betrothal to Mary, what happens? An angel shows up in a dream. And this angel has a very specific message. Angel says this, Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. The baby she's carrying is of the Holy Spirit. The coming of this child is not to bring you condemnation, but to bring you salvation. This is the promised Messiah. He is to save people from their sins. In this, Joseph understands what's happening. And in this process, becomes one of the very first believers in Jesus. How do we know? Because it doesn't take either of what seem to be his only two options Instead, God presents him a third way to handle this terrible disruption in his life. That is to risk his reputation and to provide for Mary and to adopt adopt Jesus as his son, to let Jesus into his life. Okay, I know as as you're hearing that, you're thinking, um, you know, know, listen, Clint, (laughs) you're you're limiting me in how I can, you know, handle my own crisis. But you have to consider what your crisis looks like if you actually believe that Jesus is God with us, okay? I want you to consider that everything might change about your hardship, about your disruption, about your life, if you let Jesus in. But, that is the only, that, but this, that's only gonna happen if you realize that intellectual knowledge about God is completely different than knowing him personally. See, Righteous people need a savior too. Many of you in here can identify with Joseph. You've grown up in the church the whole entire, your whole entire life. You sat under really good expository preaching and the teaching of the scriptures. Maybe you've taught a few Sunday school classes every now and then. Not to mention taught kids at VBS, traveled overseas on mission trips. Whatever the church has going on, you're volunteering or leading out. Or you've led Bible studies on campus at MTSU. Maybe you're kind of like the go-to person within your inner circle of friends when it comes to spiritual things. You know, you were the one who was asked at Thanksgiving supper to pray over the meal. All these things are good things to be a part of. I'm not knocking you for doing any of these things. But don't confuse an, exper- don't confuse an experience about God for actually walking with God. You can do the right thing, the compassionate thing like Joseph, and still not really understand the significance of Jesus coming into the world. And if that's where you are, God needs to disrupt your life so you can really see who Jesus is and why he came. It could be that this Christmas, God is going to interrupt your life in order to transform you. He wants you to have, he wants you to have yourself a merry little crisis. Okay, what do I mean by that? Have yourself a merry little crisis. This Christmas season, allow the disruptive birth of Jesus Christ to help you face reality, not escape from it. 
1949. Y'all remember 1949? Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas was first sung by Judy Garland. Y'all remember her? Wizard of Oz. She sang this for the first time in the movie Meet Me in St. Louis. Okay? Some of you have seen that. Some of you are going, what in the world are you talking about, Clint? Anyways, carry on with the illustration here. Help me out. Any of you guys remember, uh, you know, this classic? You probably don't, but uh, Esther in Meet Me in St. Louis, Judy Garland, Wizard of Oz lady, um, sings this song to her five-year-old younger sister, Tootsie. Who doesn't love a girl named Tootsie, okay? Who doesn't love a girl named Tootsie? Sings this to her on Christmas Eve because they're moving away from St. Louis to all they've known, from their comfort, from their friends, their family, and now they're moving to their father's new job in New York City, okay? Their world is being disruptive turned upside down, and they are looking for some sort of comfort in the whole thing, all right? So, here are the lyrics. I am not going to sing those. That's for next time. That's next year. But uh, here are these lyrics. Read through these lyrics with me. Have yourself a merry little Christmas. Let your heart be light. Next year, all of our troubles will be out of sight. Until then, we'll have to muddle through somehow. (laughs) So have yourself a merry little Christmas now. You know what these lyrics are saying? It's Christmas time. Don't worry about things that trouble you. Just have yourself a merry little Christmas. What does that even mean? Just have yourself a merry little Christmas. What does that even mean, Judy? Come on. Let me tell you. Let me tell you what it means. It means do anything but face reality. Put off, procrastinate, ignore, get nostalgic. Overindulge in all the gaudy sentimentality of Christmas. But don't come face to face with the person for whom we celebrate this season. He's too disruptive for you. A little too painful. A little too terrifying. And that's why you won't face God. Then you really haven't under... If this is why you won't... I'm sorry. If you... If this is the reason why you can't face God because he's terrifying, then you really haven't understood Christmas at all. Perhaps it's time to switch to a better Christmas song. One that's not so uh, goober rock as Cooper mentioned here at the beginning of our time. Let's try this. God rest you merry gentlemen. Look at these lyrics. God rest you merry gentlemen. Let nothing you dismay. For Jesus Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day. To save us all from Satan's power when we were gone astray. O tidings of comfort and joy. Comfort and joy. O tidings of comfort and joy. Do you see that? Comfort and joy? Comfort and joy doesn't come from looking past your problems, past your disruptions or crises, crises, that is. It it comes from looking through them to the real source of comfort, to Jesus Christ. Look what Matthew writes. In fact, he quotes the prophet Isaiah hundreds of years before Jesus was born. Isaiah wrote, verse 23, it's going to be on the screen. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Listen, in the Old Testament, to be in the presence of God was completely terrifying. God was like a smoking furnace, like the basement home alone. Remember that? God was like a smoking furnace. God was often referred to as a pillar of fire or tornado, whirlwind. In fact, in the book of Exodus, when Moses asked to see the presence of God, God says, no, that would kill you, but I'll show you my backside, whatever that means. I'll put you in the cleft of the rock so that you can't see my face, but you can see my backside. You can see a tiny glimpse of my glory. 
And we're told that even when Moses saw God's backside, that he had to put a veil over his face afterwards because he was reflecting the brightness of the glory of God. And the people who looked at him couldn't handle it. So remember, imagine all the Israelites, you know, Moses walking around, you know, hey, what's up, man? Got this veil on. It's, it's, it's nuts. Now, can you imagine Moses if he were here now at Christmas time? In light of what we just learned about Moses, he had to turn away from God or would have killed him. Imagine if he's hearing the Christmas message that we're hearing th- this morning. If somehow he could actually heard through all the nonsense that's Christmas now, all the superficial consumerist goober rock that we've turned Christmas into. What if Moses, whose experience with God was a burning bush where he had to remove his shoes or who had to walk alone up a mountain with a raging storm at top? What if Moses, who had to hide behind a rock just to catch a glimpse of God's backside, what if he heard the message of Emmanuel? God with us. What if Moses could have seen the very God who was so untouchable make himself completely vulnerable and completely accessible, not just to the prophets like Moses, but to ordinary carpenters like Joseph? Moses would be jumping up and down saying, do you realize what this means? You can see everything I was denied. Everyone has access to this great God without fear. In fact, the Apostle Paul writes about this idea in the New Testament. 2 Corinthians 3.18, read this. And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed in the same image from one degree of glory to another. Do you see that? No more veil. There's no more veil. No more separation between us and God. Emmanuel, God with us, that's happening now. In fact, the book of Hebrews calls Jesus not a tiny glimpse of God, but the exact representation of him. Jesus' radiance is the glory of God. And Jesus, God doesn't give us a glimpse of his glory. He gives us the best part of it. He gives it all to us. This means that through Jesus Christ, you can meet God personally without terror. This is the great message of Christmas. Listen, it boils down to this. When God became a man in Jesus Christ, a baby, a tiny little vulnerable baby drooling using the bathroom he was becoming weak so you could become strong see while at christmas jesus became with us emmanuel at calvary on the cross he did something that was very apart from us on the cross jesus took on all the reasons you had to be terrified of god he absorbed the wrath of god against your sin he became sin that so that you could be truly righteous. The reason you can be with God is not simply because God came to be with Jesus, but because Jesus was willing to die in your place, to go where you couldn't go and live, so that now Jesus becomes the cleft of the rock that you hide in. He becomes the way you come to God and live. Without that tiny baby living a perfect human life in your place, and then dying an excruciating death for your sin against God, we'd be hopeless. We would have to hide from God. You'd have every reason to do that. He would be terrifying. Without Jesus, every time your life is disrupted, every time the terror or panic of life comes in, you couldn't help but believe that God was punishing you. But now, in Jesus, you know he has taken away your sin from you. 
And so that the disruptions in your life are only being used like they were with Joseph to transform you more to the image of your Savior and to help intensify the glory of Jesus Christ to the world. What does this mean? Jesus is the better Joseph. While Joseph was righteous, showing mercy and compassion, Jesus is mercy and compassion. In Emmanuel, mercy and compassion find their beginning and end. While Joseph wavered in what he should do about Mary being pregnant with a baby that's not, that wasn't his own, Jesus never wavers in where he is with us. No matter what crisis may come into your life, Jesus has been through the only crisis that could ultimately do you in. That means that because Jesus lived and died in your place, no matter how you respond in those crises moments, God is sure about his love for you. You cannot be separated from him because he has came down to us, to you, Emmanuel, God with us. So today, city, will you consider what you're going to do with a crisis, with your crises this Christmas? Will you consider that? What are you going to do with the pain that comes back into your lives every year? It's always intensified during this season, isn't it? But so is our reflection on the God who suffered with us and for us. Will you let him dominate your thoughts and emotions this season? Will you make him Lord of your crises? He has come. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate. He died, was crucified, and was buried. But on the third day, he rose. There is no pain, there is no crisis, there is no death, No sin that is stronger. None. Not even addiction or divorce. Truly Christ is Emmanuel. He is with us and for us. Will you trust him? Pray with me. God, uh, for some of us in here, whenever uh, October hits, we go through Halloween, that, uh, that hurt and the pain starts to become a, a little bit loud in our lives. We think about the holiday season and times past, maybe with loved ones that aren't here anymore, or with past spouses, maybe to a time when a family was all intact together enjoying the holiday season. And we know, God, that um, though some of us in here find ourselves in a place that we would have never chosen. Um, We're thankful that you use crises, God, crises to get our attention, to get us to reflect upon what you did for us. God, there's some of us in here that uh, have come in here with references, with resumes, and say, hey, look, man, that's that's, that's a pretty sad story, bro, but man, you know, I've done pretty well for myself. I've done a lot of good things. So God, I pray, Lord, that the righteousness that we bring before you, God, that you would help us see that that is filthy rags. God, you would help us to see that we need, we need you with us. We, we need a Savior. There is no one that is exempt, God. 
we all need a Savior. And so, God, I pray, Lord, for the person here today that is, has put off and put off and has procrastinated and ignored. Lord, that your conviction for maybe years or weeks or maybe even now, just maybe for the first time. God, I pray that person would come find me or someone else and that they would talk about that. That they would talk about what the gospel is and how that can change their heart, God. How that can move them from, from death to life. God, we thank you, Lord, that you came down to us, God. You came down, Lord, to be like us. And that God, and, 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 and also with God at the same time. God, we thank you, Lord, for saving us from our sins. God, we love you and we praise in Jesus' name. Amen.